This episode of No Wrong Answers is brought to you by the Kauffman Foundation, investing in educators and lifting up the Kansas City region, which is dedicated to learning together to improve educational and economic success. Learn more at Kauffman.org. I think once they figured out that coming to work was a high-risk endeavor for them, I think they just looked around them and they were just like, dang, this is just... I'm supposed to be treated like a professional, and this does not feel like a professional environment. The New York Times asks teachers to send them pictures of their under-resourced classrooms. Our teachers say, yep, been there, seen that. Plus, another month, another student walkout over gun control. Schools and principals are starting to push back, and maybe surprisingly, so are students. Those topics plus a fortnight free kids these days on this edition of the No Wrong Answers podcast. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the weekly podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. I'm a former teacher turned journalist. And I'm joined, as always, by a group of hardworking teachers who are ready to talk. So let's introduce them. Lou Ann Fox, you're back for a second week in a row. What do you teach? Hi, I teach high school English. Paul Donovan, what do you teach? I teach dual credit math classes. And David Persley, what do you teach? I teach high school math and computer science. Three high school teachers this week, I just realized, as you were introducing yourselves. All three of them are educators at public schools or public charter schools in the Kansas City metro area. Teachers are frustrated. If you haven't heard, the latest flashpoint Arizona. Across Arizona, teachers are voting on whether to strike as Red for Ed leaders press the governor and lawmakers to come up with a better deal for schools. ABC 15. Indeed, more than 70% of the 57,000 some teachers who participated in that vote elected to go on strike starting April 26th. It would be the first ever statewide strike in Arizona history. Like teacher strikes and protests in other states, Arizona's labor action is driven by deep seated frustrations over teacher pay, but also something more systemic. Teachers say the state legislature is still trying to add tax cuts this year, while Arizona schools are a billion dollars short of where they were 10 years ago in funding. So the teachers are demanding more, especially to give school support staff more competitive pay. If we don't do this now, there, there is no better opportunity or momentum. Um, they might, the public might turn against us. We're hoping that they don't. We're hoping that they realize that funding education properly um, will only improve the state uh, and the future of Arizona. In places like Arizona and West Virginia, Kentucky, and Oklahoma before it, the funding situations are comparatively worse than in other states, but even in relatively well-off states like Vermont, teachers feel besieged. A recent Rutgers School of Management survey of more than 1,000 teachers in that New England state found that More than half of teachers surveyed say they are working an extra job to make ends meet. This theme was driven home visually with a recent crowdsourced photo essay published in the New York Times. The newspaper asked teachers to send them images and stories of their experiences working in under-resourced classrooms, and the Times got more than 4,200 responses. About a dozen of those were put together for a visual tour of all that ails public schools right now. Tattered textbooks, empty school library shelves, rusting radiators, leaky roofs. Together they form a distressing and distressingly common collage of America's classrooms. In this Times piece, you had teachers talking about living paycheck to paycheck, accepting the fact that they will retire in penury. One teacher even said her and her husband were food insecure some months. So for my teachers here today, did any of the stories or pictures in the New York Times resonate with you especially? Several of the ones I saw, I mean, 
I didn't even know that was supposed to be shocking because, I mean, I've always been around that. So the water stains in the ceiling, I think I've always had a room with those. There's a teacher down the hall, not my room, there's a teacher down the hall where the room has is now full of mold, and she's allergic to mold, so she keeps having to go home sick because the mold is getting to her. In my own classroom, you know, I have gloves in my room. It's not uncommon for students to see me teach with gloves. I don't care about that because I just I have a very, very cold room because we can't regulate the, the temperature. And then conversely, when it's when it's warm, it's my room's really hot as well. Um, there is no way for us to regulate the temperature. Um, and students are, you know, with coats and not with coats. And, and that becomes a, an, an issue throughout the year because um, there's always a, a hot and cold factor. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, one teacher from Boston quoted in this Times story who, um, according to this article, had more than 30 years experience in the classroom was quoted at length. And um, what he said kind of made me think of what Paul said right at the outset. He says, quote, We are not in as bad condition as in the striking states. We just have old, leaky windows, insufficient space, and broken down furniture. I've built bookshelves, and every year I paint my classroom, end quote. Um, How much of what you are enduring year to year has this become so routinized and accepted that you don't even think about it as, I mean, maybe what other professions would consider a professional slight, that your working conditions are maybe not up to snuff? See, I uh, I guess, I mean, I spend... I spend probably $250, $300 a year just buying stuff for my room. From what I hear, that's not normal in a lot of jobs. But I know that sometimes it gets so bad that the first school I taught at, the, um, the vending machines, the money that the school got from vending machines were what bought the copy paper for the school. So if kids didn't buy candy and soda, then we would run out of copy paper. Uh, I mean, Luann... It- do you feel like you're the fact that you have to wear gloves in class? Like, I mean, is that is that just something you accept as part of your job, or are you getting closer to not accepting it? Maybe that's a question I should ask. Well, it's kind of frustrating a little bit. Yeah, it does get a little frustrating. Why do you think now is the time that this is making news that the New York Times has this call out to teachers? Why now? I I'm not really sure, but I think that because there's been so much attention an increased attention on like what schools are just not doing right we're we're not we're not producing kids that are achieving better and it's always about the schools it's never about the whole educational picture it's always like what are we not doing good enough what are we not doing that's just what we're what we need to be doing and then you you put school violence in on top of this and i think the fire is just really blazing and this just becomes one of those logs where it's just like okay now we're really going to look at this too because like this is an issue and i think you just teachers are just they're just i think once they figured out that coming to work was a high risk endeavor for them i think they just looked around them and they were just like dang this is just i'm supposed to be treated like a professional and this does not feel like a professional environment I get the sense that you you guys are frustrated but also uncomfortable talking about this. Is that true? I don't know if uncomfortable is the right word. You know, it, it kind of it, it is what it is. Right. You know, um, I think once you've been in it long enough, just like the students, you kind of learn to get used to it. And I, I think the reality is right, like the pressures of being an educator and trying to maximize every moment and opportunity with students still supersedes, I would say, 
a lot of the issues that are happening on the periphery, like over time they become issues you just can't address, right? Which is like evidenced in the New York Times piece where like some of the conditions are so bad that literally like your class can't occur. But, you know, when you're in that moment with your students and you have the wherewithal to, to try to create learning to happen, that's where your focus goes, mm-hmm. at least for me. It's not mm-hmm. something that I think about. Like you just, you're just too consumed by that and you, I don't know, have to kind of be no excuses in the same way that you you tell your students to be. And I think it's also enmeshed in some other issues, like if you're repackaging and binding textbooks, uh, might it be because the district is putting more faith in technology and they're trying to move away from textbooks? But then when they do that, then that raises another whole host of issues if the technology doesn't work. And, you know, there's that whole issue of like, well, what if you're in a large district, what is... What do the powers that be in the large district think that you need for books? Because maybe it's not what the teachers think they need for books. Maybe like we want, you know, teachers want the money spent here, but somebody else thinks who's got more power that it should be this. So whatever money they do have, they spend on getting something maybe bright and shiny, but it's not really the thing that that you wanted as a boots on the ground person. So there's a lot of other stuff with it. The sad thing is that you choose to be a teacher, but you get put through so many paces to be a teacher, and then at the end of it, you know, you, you get the lower pay. And I, and I used to uh, know people who would say at, at least teachers can sign on to knowing that they're not going to get that much pay, but one of the things that they used to be able to have was, like, respect. And it's like when that when that goes, and that has gone, right? So when that goes, and I'm talking about in the 20 years that I've teach that I've taught and how it's, how it's eroded, it's just when you don't have the pay and you don't have the respect, it is... It's really hard to be that cheerleader that you need to be. So like the, the compact that you made when you enter the profession, right, is, is not being lived up to, it sounds like. It does feel that yeah. way, absolutely. Our podcast today is sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation, learning together with families, educators, entrepreneurs, and innovators to develop quality education that prepares all of Kansas City students for the future of learning and work. Join the conversation by visiting Kauffman.org or on Twitter at KauffmanFDN. For the second time in as many months, students across America walked out of school on April 20th. That day marked the 19th anniversary of the Columbine School Massacre, and it was the latest attempt by teen organizers to keep their demands for more gun control in the national spotlight. Unlike the walkout in March, which marked one month since the Parkland, Florida school shooting, this latest walkout was met with more skepticism and downright opposition from school administrators. Principals and superintendents threatened disciplinary action, said students would be given unexcused absences if they walked out in many cases. Lane Murdoch, the 16-year-old Connecticut high school sophomore credited with launching the push for this latest walkout, seemed okay with that when talking to MSNBC. I think it's important to, for people to remember that this is an act of civil disobedience. So for us, it's important that, you know, kids stay safe and that the schools and things like that are safe, but also that they realize that, you know, change doesn't come without some sort of consequence. Yeah. And I think right now the youth of America are tired of not being heard and are willing to accept that consequence. And then there is the increasingly bitter political battle over what these students are asking for. The National Rifle Association and its many supporters in Washington and in state houses across the country are pushing back more concertedly. The day of the student walkouts, our very own Luann Fox published an op-ed in the Kansas City Star expressing frustration on several fronts over this current national predicament on gun control and its impact on schools. In part, Luann, you write, and I'll quote from your op-ed, quote, I am paid to teach kids not to protest with them, 
They get the illusion of action. I am not permitted to act. And kids can see the incongruity of that. I wrestle with this moment in our time here. I know when the small civil disobedience demonstration comes up, the rule-following, job-loss-fearing side of this teacher will present itself. It has to, and I will regret it. Luann, can you say more about that? I'm very passionate about this. Anybody who knows me knows that. And I do think this is like probably the big issue of, of my career. This is this is about our lives and this is about our safety. One thing I, I didn't get said in, in the essay, but is true and, and the teachers around this table would say so too. This is our home. I mean, we, we will stay. These These kids will grow up and leave, but we are here in the brick and mortar area and and we are going to be at risk and we do that every day and every year that we that we step in and um for us to not have a voice and not and not look like we can have a voice on our work time when it's about living through our work day is um it's it's frustrating yeah there's very much a real frustration not only in in the excerpt that i read but in your in your op-ed overall that these students were kind of taking the lead on this issue, but at times you felt professionally um, constrained or held back, if I'm putting that fairly, do you think? Yes. And, you know, I'll just straight up say this um, and throw myself out there. Kids are straight. They want to know. They'll ask. They want mm-hmm. to know because they're confused like themselves. how you feel about it. Yeah. Well, right. Mm-hmm. But how teachers feel in general. I mean, kids want to air their views. Kids want to have like a real talk situation. Um, I know that in my own school, we, we had a real talk situation where, uh, you know, we set aside some time and students actually talked. And, you know, that view came out. You know, t- kids will say, I don't want my teachers armed. But then you'll have another group of kids that will say, I do. And I would be comfortable having my teachers armed. And the kids need to be able to feel like they can get out what their fears are, what their feelings are. They need to learn how to do civil discourse. And if we as adults can't teach them how to do that, I don't know how they're going to do that themselves because we don't want it to be a shouting match. But these kids are bottled up. Mm -hmm. They're scared and they're angry. And they want to know. And for us to say, well, hey, it's great for you to have your feelings, whatever they are, um, go ahead and do that. But I'm going to just go ahead and, and teach the history and the math that I'm just going to go ahead and, and teach you how to write a good conclusion on something as though it's in a vacuum. And we are not living in this time has got to be super disconcerting to them and I think ultimately unfair. And we can invite Paul and, and David into the conversation, too. But you're, it sounds like you're saying that to kind of go about the regular curriculum right now feels uh, disingenuous, feels off, doesn't feel right. Um, and, and that furthermore, your students are actually calling for you to do more or to, to, or to address this issue more, more forcefully and explicitly in class. I sort of inadvertently uh, gave students a, in my classrooms a, uh, a little way to blow off a little bit of steam. Shortly after Parkland, I told all my students, like if I'm teaching, if I'm at the board or whatever, and somebody's knocking on the door, a student will be polite and go answer the door and let let the person in. And I told them I didn't, I don't want them to do that anymore. Um, that if somebody's knocking at the door, I should be the only one answering it. And that if anybody's going to get shot in my classroom, it's me. And so every time somebody knocks at the door, then somebody will make some nice little joke like, "Oh, I don't think that's a shooter knock." And so. So it's kind of like a it's gallows humor, but it gives right. them a sense to like to even if it's just one sentence, it it, it helps to release some of yeah, the pressure. Definitely. Well, fear is still very palpable among students and teachers about this issue. A new Pew Research Center poll shows 
57% of teens report being either very worried or somewhat worried about a shooting in their own schools. And more than 60% of parents said they were at least somewhat worried of the same thing happening at their children's schools. So um, Paul kind of mentioned the gallows humor. And what other ways are, are students still expressing their fear and anxiety? Short anecdote. Last week, one of my students uh, said, came up to me and said, hey, Mr. Donovan, it's it's my birthday. And I said, oh, so you're 18? And he said, yeah. And another student said, after school now, you can go buy an assault weapon. And then another buddy, another kid in class said, well, yeah, but you can't rent a car yet. And then there was like this awkward silence. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Luann, your school has had conversations about this. What are students saying? Well, it just evolves and it just changes. And I'm telling you, I, I mean, I get surprised. Uh, you know, what, what happened on Friday? At the I National mean, School Walk. Yeah, that happened with, with our school too. But at 10 o'clock, unannounced, students are supposed to go out. So students who want to go out are supposed to know that they need to go out. Like, that's not awkward for everybody. <laughs> so at 10 o'clock, I don't know what to do other than say, well, now is the time. Because, I mean, it's just like weird. So now is the time. And I was super shocked that my kids just sat there, crossed their arms, and I mean in mass and looked at me and said nope and i said what and uh and they said uh keep going so they're they'd rather stay in class and um talk about what we were talking about which we were going over some ap stuff and and that kind of thing which i know that is valuable and and whatnot but i mean this is also really valuable and I remember following that up with uh i don't want anybody to feel peer pressure here because if people want to leave they can leave. And they said, teach. And that's exactly, I mean, it, it was the weirdest thing that I what thought you, I would have experienced. What, what, what would you attribute to that? Because I, I think the, your experiences as you're relating it is a story we didn't hear a lot of on Friday. Because right? I think there's a lot of misinformation about like what this is about. I, I think, see, I, I don't mean to get off topic here no, at all, no, no. but it, but it's just like I was think I've been thinking about this issue so much. So I've talked to my mentor, um, the 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 teacher who like impacted my life the most, and she was a Vietnam War activist. She's in that age age range where she was in high school and college and student teaching when all the stuff with Vietnam was going on. And I mentioned this thing about like, is there fatigue? Like what what's like what's the deal? How is that different from here? And she said, you know, Luann. In Vietnam, you know, we it was constant and it was daily. It was like three men killed. It was like 10 men killed every single day. And it reached that point where like something actually had to happen. And she said, thank God there's not a school shooting every day. But the casualties that come from that and the horrificness that come from that is just it's far, far too often. And she said one of the differences was was that, you know, we knew it was about our lives. It was a daily, daily thing. And it just is like, you know, and I was thinking, is it that frog in a pot, right, where, where you increase that temperature a little bit? And at one point, it just, it just gets to the – and she said at one point, you know, with the Pentagon Papers, it's like, we're not going to win this war. And it was just like when it, when it was just known. She said you couldn't really stop the young kids. And, yeah, she says – I know what it's like to be arrested. I know what it's like to be on an FBI list. Uh, you know, she had consequences, and I don't think our kids are are willing to do that. W- what our kids should have done when they walked out was not walk out for the 17 sanctioned minutes. Somebody should have got them to the Capitol. Change is not really going to happen until kids 
the kids need to go before lawmakers. They need to be calm and they need to be repetitive and they need to say and look look lawmakers in the eye and say, will you stop taking money from the NRA? I mean, there are common sense yeah. things that, that and if they stay on message, it's not about the Second Amendment and it's not about guns. It's about having assault rifles in school. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. I, mean, I, I know. I completely agree. No, <laughs> no, I know. But it's, it's good. I, I, I care a lot about this issue, too. Um, it's, it's interesting because I'm constantly trying to think about for my students how to model civic engagement. And, and to your point, I think it's important that we empower students to do those types of things. One of the things that I'm just thinking about, like, and I've had this conversation with a few different people, not to tangent too much, <laughs> taking a page from your book, but I feel like in, in the context of, like, trying to create change, right, you have, like, the legislative, um, like, issue, and then you have, like, the hearts and minds issue. Mm-hmm. And I think for, like, so many of my students, they're still so, they're so, like, deeply submerged in the pressures of just dealing with that reality because the effects of gun violence are such a constant in the life of our students. Like, even literally earlier this week, on Monday, we, we lost an alumni, class of 2011, um, before I got there, but... You know, we have several relatives of those students who I teach now and just, you know, stray bullets enter the home, you know, um, and, and, and she let out like that. That doesn't shock our students. And just the fact that we're in that day and age, I think, is I don't know. It's, it's sad. I don't want to be a complete buzzkill. I just I just I'm just thinking through how we can build off of moving past the grief to, to, to give them the capacity to want to be able to empower and push forward. And, and, you know, some students just have the inclination to be able to do those things at the same time. But on the occasion where I try to bring these things up to my students, a lot of the times, to your point, they disengage, or, like teach. Mm-hmm. They'd rather not talk about it. And mm-hmm. I think that's because they're numb and desensitized and because that apathy is there. And, and so I think just as important a piece to actually, you know, Harnessing that angst to do something meaningful is also creating a space mm-hmm. to to heal and to, to reconcile. But I, well, I to, think it's also because they don't understand really what it is. I mean, I yeah. think I think they yeah. I think if they see the three letter word gun and that then then it's it's about guns. And I know that the Second Amendment was great, and I know what this says in the Second Amendment, and it's all the Second Amendment kind of stuff. And why can't it be about just common sense things like you don't need to have bump stocks, you don't somebody you well, know mentally so ill it, shouldn't it have a, guns. It is about guns. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, is. the issue is about guns. I mean, it certainly is about the Second Amendment and about the, the different ancillary uh, rights and laws and, and, and things that have come up around the Second Amendment. I mean, it is about that. It's, mm, I don't know. Is it is it really about guns or is it about the ability to pull the trigger and kill a gazillion, I mean, a, a ton of people? I mean, <laughs> yeah. because because this, because this the gun is now a machine. I mean, what, what is it? Is it a gun anymore? Well, I mean, I, I would say that like the, the, the movement that has kind of sprung up since Parkland kind of focused around the, the, the prominent survivors of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting, I guess typified by the March for Our Lives last month. But, I mean, their demands are pretty explicit. They want um, a ban on assault rifles. They want a ban on high-capacity right. magazines and bump stocks, as you said, right. Luann, uh, universal background checks for right. gun buyers. Um, they also are pushing for states to get rid of so-called shoot-first or stand-your-ground laws, which are also kind of right. kind of gun-related. So, I mean, I think their demands are, are pretty explicit and, and pretty explicitly about guns. But you're saying maybe your students, that they're not quite maybe understanding the nuance of those policy issues. And they see, like, that three-letter word gun, right. and they yeah. either shut down or they get really impassioned over right. that yeah. word. 
Some of you mentioned uh, a sense of fatigue for different reasons, I think. Certainly there was, I think, a sense among school districts and school officials on this latest walkout, a hesitance to endorse or allow these latest walkouts, you know, principals and superintendents, um, more so than during the March walkouts threatening students with disciplinary action, um, giving them unexcused absences. I mean, do, do schools have a point, right? Do you, do you empathize with their kind of institutional perspective that, you know, we can't have these disruptions like every month now? Our principal um, kind of gave us, he said that the students um, should be allowed to leave and they should be allowed to do their uh, freedom of speech because they don't give up their rights when they walk into the school. But in order to be consistent, if we would write somebody up for leaving the classroom without permission to go to the bathroom, then we need to be consistent. And if they leave the classroom without permission for the protest, then that it should be handled consistently. So I, I, I mentioned that to all of my students, and some of them thought that that was not fair because this was a good, um, a good cause. So then we had a little bit of talk about civil disobedience is still disobedience, and you still have to uh, pay the price for it. I had one, one student tell me, because she was like all gung-ho about organizing the walkout, and then the day of, she, she told me, I'm not going to do it. And I was really surprised, and I said, why? And she said, because I'm trying to become president of student council, and that would probably disqualify me. So, so they're, they're, uh, they're learning that civil disobedience isn't just, I mean, it has real impacts, like with the Black Lives Matter movement. It, it, it's not just something you can, with some soaring inspirational soundtrack as you walk down the street. And like, getting back to your anecdote about at 10 o'clock, you, you, know, you told your students, okay, you can walk out if you want. They all kind of sat there and said, no, teach. Did you get the sense from them that it was because, like, let, just, let's just get over this. Just, let's just move on. Let's go back to I – mean, what, what, what yeah. was your read of that well, from them? Right. And I literally – but I do, I'm just going to complexify that a little bit because I think they're just confused. I think it's about I – think, I think they're frustrated because they're confused. I think because the issues are not allowed to be talked about in schools in, in a real – way talking about like what what does real student activism look like because it looks like going to town halls right it looks like getting involved in your community it looks like going to the capitol it looks like doing more than just making a sign and showing up at tease park which was great to do for march for our lives and it, it just looks like more than just being seen it looks like actually taking a stand and having a little bit of gosh a little bit of danger i mean i did that when i wrote the editorial but, I mean, that's authentic and that's real. And I had to live with that. And I hope that makes me a stronger person. And if I can't do that truth for them, if I can't do that truth for myself, then I don't I don't really know what it's all about. And I don't think it's a bad thing to teach kids, hey, there's some consequences that come with this, but it's worth it. And just for the record, you are still here. You're still teaching. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, because I'll just tell you, Kyle and everybody, I mean, I'm just afraid of like, I mean, I could retire in seven years, but I would like to not teach in a war zone in seven years. And I don't know what becomes the norm. If we don't keep it in the public eye and shove it in front of people's faces, I don't want it to be like that frog that just gets a little bit hot and just yeah. a little bit hot, you yeah. know, and get yeah. my skin boiled off. You know, I'm like, eh. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned. We're going to do Kids These Days after the credits. This episode of No Wrong Answers is sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation. No Wrong Answers retains total editorial control in what our teachers say are their personal opinions, which may not reflect the official policies of the schools and districts they work for. 
Like us at Facebook, follow us on Twitter, just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. Find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And once you do, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours giving you a teacherly take on the world. If you've enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, leave us a review, and keep the conversation going. Now, kids these days, I will say it is a fortnight free kids these days now. I am imposing Long that I am imposing that rule. <laughs> so I think we've had Fortnite three or four times in the last month. Uh, but Luann, what are your kids into? My kids have told me that they're into mudding. And uh, that just basically, I know mm-hmm. there, no, I went and looked it up and there's like four different ways you can take that. And uh, anyway, but I think. Which way do the kids <laughs> Oh, okay. That's the only thing I want to talk about. <laughs> um, just, you know, getting in a Jeep or a right. car yeah. and, you know, getting all muddy and whatnot. And then, you know, that's fun. So. Okay. Uh, David, what are your kids into? <laughs> um, uh, prom is around the corner. And so my juniors and seniors are all like constantly talking about like their outfits guys and girls alike about like what they're wearing and and so that's like not uncommon but i overhear these conversations and like they're talking about how, how expensive some of the things are that they're getting and i'm like some of the girls like yeah this dress costs like 750 dollars like one thousand dollars i'm like what <laughs> like uh-huh. that like that's how much i spent on like my first computer <laughs> the college it just right. and i'm just like right. i mean a lot of our kids have jobs you know like i know several of them like yeah i've been saving up since like the start of the school year like for they distress. are balling out and the, I mean, for and prom the, <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the girls buy their dress yeah yeah no a lot of them do i mean yeah i mean a lot of our students again like for all the other yeah, moms like yes no but i will say the, the, the dudes probably just rent their tuxes yeah, for like I, maybe a fraction of that cost. most of them a few of them have talked about intending to buy their stuff too they, you know they want to you know Take tux. it, take it for a photo shoot after or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been it's just been entertaining to see how much they're willing to spend to, you know, be lavish for prom. Um, it's pretty funny. Hey, Paul, what are your kids into? Well, it's the uh, the excitement and suspense over the Avengers: Infinity War oh. is, is killing some students because it comes <laughs> out next week. So that's a main topic, as well as now as of uh, Friday. Reviewing J. Cole's new album is um, another yeah. another hot thing. Mm. <laughs> I, I still listen to it still. We have perennial, perennial kids these days. J. Cole makes an appearance K-O-D. once in a while. Yeah. Um, in Affinity War, this is the movie with like all the the Marvel. Yeah, yeah like everything yeah. Marvel okay. ever thought of on okay. one screen. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's insane. All right. Well, thanks to our teachers this week, Luann Fox, David Persley. And Paul Donovan. Thanks, as always, to Matt Hodap, who produces the podcast. Thank you to KCUR 89.3, Kansas City Public Radio, where we tape. And remember, kids, be nice to your teachers. <laughs>